I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how are we doing? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, uh, coming to you live on this sunny but very chilly Saturday morning here in North London. Preparations begin, don't they? Ahead of the big game tomorrow. Manchester United are coming to town. Arsenal taking on the Red Devils at Emirates Stadium, 4.30pm kickoff UK time. And it's a big, big game for both sides, uh, a really, really big game uh, for both sides. And we'll come on to discuss that in a little bit more detail just shortly. But yeah, it's a bit of a weird podcast today because, yeah, I mean, I sort of wanted to do the preview for this game yesterday. My plan was to do it on Friday evening. That was my plan throughout the duration of the week. It was finish up with my work on Friday, get home, get in the door, have something to eat, settle down, chill out a little bit make some notes, sit down, record a podcast, previewing the Manchester United game. But over this past few days, there has been so much Arsenal transfer news that the preview kind of got pushed to the wayside and, and the transfer stuff took precedent because the news was coming through really fast and really, really quickly. Um, but here we are today on Saturday morning, ready to preview the game, but we're also going to talk more transfers because that is what is going on at the moment at Arsenal Football Club. It's gone nuts in the last few days. Edu, Mikel Arteta, everybody involved getting lots of criticism just a matter of days ago because of uh, the fact that Mikhailo Mudrik had gone to Chelsea and that didn't really go the way we wanted it to, etc, etc. But it seems as though Arsenal have been very busy. Arsenal, as I said yesterday, have been working in the shadows and that is what I like to see. I don't know about you guys, but that is what I like to see. Now, on this edition of the show, because of the... Uh, volume of transfer news, rumours, reports uh, doing the rounds at the moment, I figured we could split this show into two halves. So we will begin by looking ahead to the big game on Sunday, the Manchester United game. We'll preview that in detail as we do with every other uh, Premier League game. And then we will spend the second half of the show uh, talking transfers and taking you guys' thoughts from the comments and from the live chat. So lots and lots to get through on this edition of the show. Um, as I say, we're going to start with the game. But before we do that, I just want to say a few hellos and give a few shout outs to some of you joining us in the live chat. Uh, big hello to Peeny Ween. Um, Derek Symes says, at top of the morning to you. I hope all's well. Uh, you're feeling better, buddy. Good day from Australia. Mate, no one has mentioned that Anthony Taylor is the ref for the big game. I was actually going to mention that in my preview bit. I Anthony Taylor's a weird one because at times people have looked at him and gone, oh, he favours Arsenal. He absolutely favours Arsenal. Uh, and at other times people have looked at him and gone, oh, my God, he's the worst referee that we could possibly get. I'll tell you what, I don't think any of them purposely favour anybody. I think they're just all useless, to put it bluntly. I just maybe useless is too strong a term, but I just don't think that many of them are competent enough to be refereeing at the level they are. I don't think that they... Um, get held accountable for the bad decisions they make. And as a consequence of that, there's never any real pressure for the standards to be lifted or for the standards to improve. So, yeah, I'm not going to sit and, and sort of dig out Anthony Taylor specifically because I don't think he's the only one. I think there's a lot of referees in this division that probably aren't at the level that a league of our level requires nowadays. Um, the whole VAR system, it's I think it needed to come in, but I don't think it's been implemented necessarily in the right ways. 
And, you know, that's a whole nother debate. We could do a whole nother show on that. And, and I'm sure uh, if something seriously goes against us, we, we might have to do that uh, to kind of break it all down. But yeah, um, we'll move on from that. Harvey says, hello, good morning to you, my friend. Uh, Clock N Seb says, morning, everyone. That bench is getting stronger by the day. Absolutely is. Um, you guys are nicking all my points this morning, uh, but we'll get onto that in a lot more detail. Big hello to Raphael, uh, to Sko, to Nav, to Johan, uh, to Matt, who says, uh, Harry, you've got me multitasking with your show and Sir Andy Murray's Aussie Open match. Do you know what? I'm a, I'm not going to say I'm a tennis fan. I'm a casual tennis fan. I have had no time to watch any of the Aussie Open so far. Quite disappointed about that. Um, maybe I can catch some after this. I don't know. Depends on the timings. Uh, what else have we got? Big hello to John, to Karim, to Anakin, uh, to Steve, to Craig uh, over in Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. I can't even speak this morning. He says, greetings, Harry, from the line at Fan Fest in Orlando. Is that a Premier League Fan Fest? Is that like a general Premier League thing? Um, if it is, let me know, because I've seen a few uh, people over in the States that I follow are heading to that. So, yeah, let me know. Uh, big hello to Gangle, uh, to Kevon, to Munir, uh, to Chima, to Thomas, um, who joins us from uh, Sweden. He says, thanks for making our car drive better. Thank you, mate, for tuning in. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, big hello to Tanjiro, to Tony James, who joins us from Perth in Australia, and to Richie Dubfeller. Okay. Let's get into the show then. Let's talk Arsenal versus Manchester United. How are you guys feeling about this one? Let me know in the chat because obviously there's an air of confidence about Arsenal at this moment in time. And there should be. You know, we're on an incredible run. We've just gone to White Hart Lane, a game that many tipped us to slip up in. And we won pretty convincingly as well. Uh, we come away with all three points. We extended our league at the top of the table after, of course, uh, Manchester City drop points in the Manchester derby, perhaps unfairly, if we're being honest, the day before. And, and everything was rosy and everything was great. And all the conversation has been this week, you know, is it now Arsenal's time? Are Arsenal now going to go on and win the Premier League? It's been a conversation that's been hovering around for a little while, but I feel like it intensified having extended that lead over Manchester City. But of course, they played Spurs in midweek. They play against... Um, They've obviously played a game more than us. They play against Wolverhampton Wanderers uh, at the weekend, again, before we play Manchester United. So there's a possibility that that eight-point lead that we had could be cut down to two points. And I think that really puts pressure on Arsenal. Now, I was trying yesterday on various shows that I was on, on the 90 Min show on Talk Sport, uh, to kind of bat away the pressure, you know, push it away, give it back to someone else. We don't need it. We don't want it. We're happy to keep chugging along, keep doing our thing, keep doing our business without the pressure that comes with being title favourites. But the problem is that when you're playing as well as we are and when you're in the position that we are in, it's impossible to, to kind of avoid that. It is going to come. And we have to learn, I think, not just as players and as a, as a club, but as fans to deal with that as well, because the greater the expectation, the harder the fall, uh, if indeed you do fall. And I'm worried about this because, you know, at no point, did people really take us seriously? I would say up until Christmas, the conversation was always, well, you know, Arsenal, they lack depth. You know, they're, they're not really equipped for the long haul. They're one or two injuries away from a serious problem. And I still agree that there are at least two, three players in that side that are irreplaceable for us, that if we were to lose them, we'd be in serious trouble. 
But, you know, we've gone out in this window, it seems, and we've started adding to the squad and to the group in order to try and boost our chances of going the distance, holding on. I think there will be a couple of departures as well. Looks as though Cedric Suarez, for example, is uh, edging ever closer to a move um, away to Fulham. I think that will probably happen between now and the end of the window. Arsenal have been linked with a fullback to replace him. We'll see if that comes uh, to fruition as well. But yeah, I think the pressure going into this game is is the, the big concern for me on a footballing level. You know, if we play our game and we play it something close to the best of our ability, I'm confident we beat Manchester United. I'm confident that we... You know, we go out there and we impose ourselves and we have the lion's share of possession. You'd hope as well that lessons have been learned from that game at Old Trafford earlier on in the season. Mikel Arteta um, spoke about that in his press conference, didn't he? He said that we have learned from that. We need to take learns from that. We need to uh, make sure that we don't make the same mistakes and we need to be aware of the threat that Manchester United pose. What I would say, though, is, and, you know, I've spoken to a lot of friends um, over the last sort of 24, 48 hours, Arsenal supporting friends. Yeah, believe it or not, a couple of Manchester United supporting friends as well. And and the general sort of thing seems to be, yeah, well, you know, Arsenal went to Old Trafford, played them off the park, were unlucky to get beat, didn't have Thomas Partey that day. And so this Arsenal, you know, however many months uh, down the line, are, are much more confident, are, are clicking much better have, you know, Thomas Partey in the midfield as far as we know, et cetera, et cetera. There's no reason why Arsenal shouldn't get all three points here. Yes, we can look at Arsenal's progress. And yes, we should be pleased with Arsenal's progress. Yes, it should be a factor when you're predicting how you think this game may or may not go. But what you also have to remember is that Manchester United have progressed a hell of a lot. And I feel like the result that they got at Crystal Palace in midweek, which was, I guess put across as a bad result, a negative result by the media, given that, you know, a few days prior, people were talking about them being right back in the title race. That cannot blind us. We shouldn't allow that to pull the wool over our eyes. That cannot be the thing that throws us off because Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag, there is no doubt about it, are a much better side today than the side that we played off the park at Old Trafford, but somehow still got beat. Okay, they're a much better side than that. And you have to be ready for that and prepared for that. Not just as Mikel Arteta, not just as these players, but as fans as well. We don't have any God-given right to go out there and blow this Manchester United side away. Because as I say, we have progressed, but they too have progressed. And they're much closer to us now than they were, I would argue, at the start of the season where we were playing well, generally speaking, um, yeah, you know, we had a couple of players out. Zinchenko had come back into the side after a spell on the sidelines, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, this is still a good, strong Manchester United side, and we need to be aware of that. Apologies, I'm still a little bit blocked up, as you can probably tell. Um, but anyway, what is kind of nice is the fact that for the first time in a long time, the Arsenal-Man United match fixture that was the grudge match of the Premier League era, that was the game that everybody couldn't wait for, can now be spoken about as a game between two of the top teams in England again. That is kind of nice, um, you know, because I felt like the the shine had, had gone away from the rivalry and I felt as though, uh, you know, people sort of dismissed its fire and dismissed what it meant to both sets of supporters. And actually, for me, this has always been one of the big games. And for it to actually have that meaning in the Premier League table again, I think is massive as well. Um, 
Nav says uh, they do tend to get a lot of help from the refs lately. Look, they did in the Manchester derby. There's no question about that. I've gone over it and over it and over it. And I cannot, you know, sit down and say that Marcus Rashford didn't interfere in that build-up. He was so, so involved. It was a ludicrous decision, maybe up there with the worst decisions I've seen in the Premier League this season. I'd go as far as saying that. But you've got to look at then what happened in midweek. And, you know, obviously I wanted them to drop points. So I was delighted and pleased about that. But if we're being fair, my God, I mean, they should have had a penalty kick at 1-0 up against Crystal Palace. And if they get that and score that, the game's done and dusted against a Palace side, very low on confidence, um, who managed to find a moment of magic through Michael Elise to level things up. So, yeah, look, regardless of whether people think referees are helping Manchester United or not, regardless of where people think we are at and and how good we are, and, and obviously we are good at this moment in time, Man United are not an opponent that you can take lightly. Not at the Emirates Stadium, not at Old Trafford, not anywhere. Okay, because they are a good side that have started to click under Eric Ten Hag. Now, obviously, they're missing Casemiro at the weekend, which I think for a lot of people is a massive deal. Casemiro has been a superb signing. I remember when they brought him in, I remember looking at it and thinking, look at his age, look at the point in his career he's at, look at um, look at Man United's kind of need to regenerate and refresh and look at what they've spent on him. Is, is this a worthwhile investment? Is this the right investment? Is this Manchester United turning a corner or is this Manchester United doing what Manchester United had done for the decade prior, which was signing players that were maybe no longer quite at their peak, maybe slightly on the downward turn because they were big names, paying big money for them and hoping that someone uh, someone in the dugout could put them all together and get some sort of tune out of them. Out of them. Casemiro, though, has been huge. He's been massive. He's been uh, brilliant. He's adapted to the Premier League very, very quickly. He's marshaled that midfield to allow the likes of Christian Eriksen, for example, when he plays alongside him to be a little bit more creative. He's allowed Bruno Fernandes to have that free role that Bruno Fernandes thrives in. And just looking at their team, when you think about the threats that they have, you know, you're talking about Bruno Fernandes as a goal threat. You know, Christian Eriksen's incredibly talented and incredibly creative. You know that Marcus Rashford has been on fire at the moment. Um, you know, he's he's been fantastic. You know, there's other players as well, you know, Garnacho, who may or may not get a start, but will certainly, I'm sure, be involved at some point. He's been a breath of fresh air from Man- uh, for Manchester United fans. So they do have a lot of threat, and we got to be wary of that. And my big worry with Manchester United is on the counter-attack. And when I come on to talk about my lineup, I'll share with you guys on the screen the areas that I think if I were Manchester United, I'd be looking to target. Therefore, if I were Mikel Arteta, I'd be looking to probably tighten up a little bit. Um, So, yeah. The other positive point is, you know, when you look at Arsenal's depth, obviously it is getting better. You know, you look at where the squad was at just a few weeks ago in comparison to where it could be by the time we play tomorrow. And, you know, it's in a much better place. Now, Jakub Kivior, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, who's due to undergo a medical in London this afternoon, uh, according to various sources, ahead of his uh, proposed move to the club from Spezia. Won't be available, obviously, for tomorrow's game, but could come straight into the squad uh, for the next one, which is obviously a positive to have an alternative option, another option, another player who is experienced and and who can play a multitude of positions available to Mikel Arteta can't ever be a bad thing, can it? But yeah, um, 
the, the side, the squad in general looks that little bit more healthy, in my opinion. And I always go back to the Newcastle game because that for me was a game where, listen, Arsenal played quite well, I thought, for the most part. You know, we're playing against a very good Newcastle side who have been uh, very sort of impressive this season, who have managed to keep pace with the top of the table, who I think have exceeded a lot of people's expectations. But when it got towards the end of the game and, and you know, maybe as potential title winners or as title challengers, you want to go on and win, you know, that kind of game. You want to go on and, and get the goal and, and essentially add those further two points to your tally because that could be the difference come the end of the season. I genuinely felt on that night and, and I was at the game and I was covering it from the press box for uh, BBC Radio London. And I remember looking in front of me at Mikel Arteta and thinking, are you going to change it? Have you got anything that you believe could make a difference in this game? Do you think that Fabio Vieira can do it? Do you think that, um, you know, do you think that Marquinhos or anybody like that can can make a difference? I don't even know if Marquinhos was on the bench, but I remember looking at Mikel Arteta and thinking, I'm looking at your bench options and I don't really feel that you've got an awful lot to play with here. Signing Leandro Trossard gives you that. And now Emil Smith-Rowe has returned as well. So what you have now is three players on the substitutes bench. If Mikel Arteta goes with the lineup, I think he's going to go with, that could all potentially come on and influence the game and impact the game positively from an offensive standpoint. So you're talking about Leandro Trossard, who we know is uh, eligible for the game, as far as we understand it, against Manchester United. You've got Emil Smith-Rowe, who is slowly slowly working his way back to full fitness. You've got Fabio Vieira, who, although some people are still divided on him, has, has made some good contributions, I think, in the attacking third when he has been given chances. So Arsenal now have three players that they can turn to. And Reese Nelson is not a million miles away. And Gabriel Jesus, we hope, is not a million miles away. And all of a sudden, your attacking options and your ability to change it up front and to you know bring on fresh legs that are equally, all right, maybe not equally, in all cases, but who are as dangerous or, or, or dangerous enough to make an impact, you have that now. And that's what's been missing. There are still other areas in the squad that need addressing. And we'll talk about that in a lot more detail when we split onto the transfer section. But right now, we're looking at Manchester United. And I feel like even if Manchester United do a bit of a number on us, we have now got players that we can turn to on the substitutes bench and say, do you know what, mate? You go on, you have a go. Without significantly damaging the quality of our 11 out there. So that gives me encouragement. That makes me feel like we're better equipped to not only, you know, break teams down in tight games, but to also maintain our very high intensity levels with the way we press, the way we close people down, the way we look to move the ball quickly for longer periods of time, because you've now got people that you can take out and replace them with others who, you know, especially in Trossard's case, I mean, you know he can press. You know he can be aggressive. We've all seen him do it for years for Brighton and Hove Albion. And at the beginning, when we made contact over Leandro Trossard, I was a little bit, mm, I'm not sure about this, because of, as I've talked about before, the fact that it may be just slightly veers away from what the plan's been in terms of recruitment. But then when I saw what the fee was, which isn't the type of fee that hamstrings you for the years to come, and when I looked back at actually what I've seen of Leandro Trossard and what I think of him as an individual, putting the Arsenal links in, the Arsenal plan and the Arsenal way to one side. Actually, the more I think about it, the more it feels like a really good acquisition. And as I've said to you guys, throughout the duration of this transfer window, we can have our opinions on certain players. We can have our views 
on certain players. We're absolutely entitled to that. But we also, I think, need to trust the people making the decisions at the moment because so far, over the past 18 to 24 months, they've been almost flawless. And that is brilliant, you know, and, and that confidence that we can have in our football club contributes to a much more positive mood around the place, which contributes to a much better atmosphere in the stadium, in games, and that translates onto the pitch and helps the players. We can be the 12th man by being positive and by being behind the team, even when the going gets tough. And there have been tough periods this season, not necessarily in terms of results, but in games where we've struggled, you know, Spurs away. There were periods in that game where I was incredibly nervous. Maybe I wouldn't be so nervous if I watched them back now, now that the time is passed and I know what the outcome is. But certainly at the start of the second half, certainly towards the end of the first half, like the last sort of seven to 10 minutes of the North London derby, I was a little bit like, come on, guys, let's not get sloppy here. Let's not concede a goal and give them the encouragement that will lift the stadium, that will lift the crowd and, and lift their spirits. And thankfully, we were able to ride that out. Now, that was partly due to Aaron Ramsdale, largely due to Aaron Ramsdale. And that was fantastic. But, you know, you just, you will go through those periods, you know, in the Premier League. That's the nature of the division. It is such a strong league that that's going to happen. Uh, so we, um, you know, we need to come through them. And I think the crowd can be a big help in that. As far as Manchester United go, again, just to kind of round up on them. Um, as I say, I've been really impressed with them. I think Eric Ten Hag, you know, he had a, a massive job on his hands when he took over. I know they've got the ability to spend money, Manchester United. And so it's not, you know, the story of the pauper. This is not the story of, of the poor boy trying to turn around the fortunes of Manchester United on a shoestring budget. I, I know that, you know, I know that Manchester United are a juggernaut of a football club and have that ability to be ambitious in the transfer market and to, to bring, bring in high quality players quickly, which they've done. But there was still an awful lot that needed to change there. You know, we talk about the job Arteta did and, and the fact that the culture here was rotten to the core and that somebody needed to come in and take a hold of it and and try to turn that ship around. Well, Eric Ten Hag has had to do the same at Manchester United. So it's not just about bringing in new players. He's had to improve some of the ones he's got. He's had to deal with a very disruptive figure in Cristiano Ronaldo, similar to the way that Mikel Arteta had to deal with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in the end and Mesut Ozil before that. Um, you know, Matteo Genduzzi as well. Cristiano Ronaldo is a superstar and Cristiano Ronaldo caused Eric Ten Hag an awful lot of problems and gave him an awful lot of, um, you know, things to think about and issues to deal with. And, and it led to the club having a lot of bad press, which meant that every time Manchester United dropped points in their process, which it is, you know, they're going through that as well. It just brought negative press onto Manchester United because, you know, if they'd lose and Ronaldo didn't play, where where was Cristiano Ronaldo? If they had Cristiano Ronaldo, maybe they'd have won the game. Eric Ten Hag is shooting himself in the foot. Forget all of that. Eric Ten Hag, even as an Arsenal fan, I can say this, has done a fantastic job at Manchester United. And I'm sure he will take Manchester United towards the top of the Premier League again. I'm convinced of it. If he gets the time and the backing and the support that he needs. So I don't take Manchester United lightly, uh, lightly, I beg your pardon. I think they're an incredibly talented side. I think they've got a lot of threat on the counter-attack. And I'm going to show you guys now um, my starting lineup for this one. And then I'm going to explain to you um, where I feel that Manchester United could really be a threat to us and where we probably um, just need to be a little bit more switched on and a little bit more alert than, than perhaps normal. So my team 
to play Manchester United is the same team that won the North London derby. So I'm going for Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Uh, back four of Zinchenko, Gabriel, Saliba and White. My midfield will consist of Partey, Odegaard and Xhaka with Martinelli left, Saka right and Ketia through the middle. Obviously, Leandro Trossard on the bench. Obviously, Emil Smith-Rowe on the bench. Um, but that is my team to face Manchester United. So that is what I am going with. Now, I spoke about the fact that I feel there are just a couple of areas in which Arsenal are a little bit vulnerable. And I'm not really sure there's an awful lot that Mikel Arteta can do about this without sacrificing part of our game. So I don't expect him to make wholesale changes to address this, but I do think that he needs to be alert and aware of what Manchester United bring to the table and make sure that his players are well briefed on that. I'm sure he will, but it's just, there's just a couple of things that concern me. So obviously we know that when Arsenal play in this way, that what tends to happen is that Martinelli will pull right out to the left-hand side. Okay, we know that Xhaka likes to get into the half space. We know that Odegaard likes to get into the half space on the right-hand side. And the pair like to really support the pressing effort. We know that that very often leaves Thomas Partey quite isolated in the middle of the park. And the way we've dealt with that uh, as a football club and as a team is to squeeze our centre-backs right up to the halfway line so that the distances between Partey and the two centre-backs are minimal. We also know that Ben White likes to go forward. We know that he likes to step slightly in field. He has shown that he can overlap uh, Bukayo Saka when needs be as well, but he does tend to tuck into this type of area. Also, when Arsenal are building up from slightly deeper, what we see is we see Zinchenko very, very quickly, even when Arsenal are in possession. So that shape I just showed you was based on Arsenal trying to win the ball back and squeeze their opponents Um or it's a movement that they make in possession to, to, you know, try and suffocate their opponent and create overloads and advantages in certain areas of the pitch. But when Arsenal are building out from the back, so let's say we've just won the ball back with our goalkeeper or with one of our centre-backs, what we see very quickly happen is Alexander Zinchenko drift in here. Alexander Zinchenko loves to drift in field and he sort of sits alongside Thomas Partey and looks to dictate the play along with him. The pair of them between them, they have an incredible passing range. They have the ability to play progressive passes almost every time they get the ball. And that helps us and that sets us on our way. What that then requires, though, is for Granit Xhaka to be a little bit more alert defensively in those instances and in those moments. Although at times we've seen him still bomb on, even when Zinchenko has stepped in field. It means that Martinelli has to be alert defensively. But the one who's, I think, who suffers the most for this and the one who gets given the most responsibility in order to deal with this move, tactical play, whatever you want to call it, is Gabriel. Because when Zinchenko drifts in field into there, all of a sudden, Gabriel, who is a left-sided centre-back, now has to look after his domain, but also this entire area of the park here. This is what Gabriel is required to do. He's required to stay there. Saliba shuffles across a little bit. Ben White tucks in on the other side to help out. It becomes essentially a back three, but with the onus on uh, Gabriel to go out and confront and meet any opposition player who either finds himself in space or breaks three, uh, break, breaks free, I beg your pardon, down their right-hand side. Now, although Gabriel normally deals with that actually quite well, the problem that you get is when teams switch the play quickly. So let's say, for example, your opponent has got the ball at left back somewhere up here and pings a diagonal ball across to that right-hand side, an early pass, and the winger receives it, 
it then just takes a second, a split second, you know, for Arsenal to shift into this shape. Now, to be fair to them, they react to this really well and they react to it really quickly. But what you're then relying on is Gabriel to move across and then Saliba to move across and then White to move across and then potentially Saka and Odegaard to get back and help out and Xhaka to come and help out with Gabriel and Zinchenko to get himself back into his original starting position. So what you end up with is just that split second or, you know, second, whatever you want to call it, that short, very short period of time in which Arsenal need to reset their shape when those early switches of play happen. And Eric Ten Hag is clever enough to see that. And Eric Ten Hag will be well aware of that. So we have to make sure that when those moments come, we make those transitions in terms of our shape very, very quickly. And the players that have bombed on and the players that have taken up different positions tuck back in as soon as possible in order to help out um, Gabriel on that left-hand side. If I were Man United, if I were Man United, I would play Marcus Rashford on the right tomorrow. I would. I know he's better from the left. I know people look at him and say he's a left-sided player more than he is a centre-forward. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about that. Maybe even as a centre-forward, he could cause us problems in behind tomorrow. But if I were United, I'd be looking at that Arsenal side and I'd be thinking, as great as he is on the ball, Zinchenko is the one. And I think a lot of teams will look at this over the remainder of the season. I'd say Zinchenko is the one that we can expose, not because he's a bad player, but because of the role he has in this team. So, yeah, I think that's what we've got to be alert to and that's what we've got to be aware of. And um, fingers crossed we can we can deal with it. But that is a, a real threat. So just to uh, reiterate then, the side that I would pick uh, to face at Manchester United at, uh, I almost said Highbury, at Emirates Stadium tomorrow is Ramsdale in goal, Ben White at right back, William Saliba and Gabriel at centre-back uh, with Zinchenko on the left. Uh, my midfield would consist of Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard with Saka and Martinelli either side of Eddie and Ketia, who I thought was fantastic, by the way, in the North London derby. Uh, lots of questions, lots of thoughts um, coming through in the chat. I've missed a load of them because I was concentrating so hard on what I was saying, but uh, we will come over to the live chat in a second. Can I just say, uh, if you haven't done so already, uh, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really does help us. And I can see right now that there's over 500 of you. So there's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 250. Uh Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. 
new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, likes on the board. We're also a couple of hundred subs away from hitting the 26, um, 26,000 mark here on YouTube. And that doesn't even include all the lovely people that listen to the podcast on audio as well. So um, yeah, whatever platform you're on, like, review, share, whatever it is, comment. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you want to go one further and become a member of the show, if you want access to our premium content, I was due to drop a piece yesterday. Um, and I delayed it because it was irrelevant uh, based on what the news was that broke yesterday. So I will be re-recording another one, uh, which I'll release for you guys bright and early tomorrow morning. Uh, and you can listen to it on your way into the Emirates Stadium or you can listen to it uh, to ease your nerves in the build up to the Manchester United game because it's not Manchester United uh, related. So, yeah, um, check that out. But if you want to sign up and gain access to that, all you need to do is go over to another slice.com slash chronicles of a guna. Create your account on the platform, log in uh via your um log in via your account and then subscribe to the Chronicles of a Guna. Uh, once you've done that, you can download the Another Slice app. You'll have access to all of our premium content there. Or if you prefer, you can take the custom RSS feed and plug it into whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. Um, but yeah. Uh, the content was around wingers. Yes, it, it was around wingers. Um, I'd recorded it earlier on in the weekend and the Trossard stuff came. Um, and yeah, so it, it, yeah, I mean, nobody cares about it now because Trossard's in the door. So uh, we'll get something else done and out there for you guys. And remember as well, uh, post the Manchester United match, there will be player ratings before we do our post-match podcast here uh, on the main channel. So um, yeah, check it all out. Okay, I think we're going to take a very, very short break. And when we return, we're going to discuss some transfers. Hello, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition of the show, we've been looking ahead so far to Arsenal versus Manchester United. And now... We're going to turn our attentions to some of the latest Arsenal transfer news. Uh, so I said to you guys yesterday that I didn't know an awful lot about Jakub Kivior, the Polish defender who, according to reports, is currently undergoing a medical at Arsenal uh, ahead of a proposed move across from Spezia to the value of 25 million euros in total. Uh, that deal is very close to being done, although it's not really been confirmed by any of the well, look, Fabrizio Romano came out with it. He came out with the Trossard stuff ahead of everybody else, to be fair to him. He normally is quite good on this stuff. So I think we're hopeful that this is this is going to be done. There's reports in Poland that back it up as well. Um, no official announcement, though, at the time of recording. But we feel as though this deal is edging closer. So I said to you guys yesterday that 
Yes, I'm a Serie A watcher, and I know a bit about Jakub Kivio, um, but if I said I'd been watching Spezia on a regular basis, I'd have been a liar. So I didn't want to sit there and give you guys too much on him without actually going away and doing some research. And in terms of research, I've looked at some statistics, I've, I've looked at some heat maps, I've looked at some compilations, because I think it's important. Look, compilations don't tell you everything, but what they do is they give you a feel for a player. You know, you understand what his strengths are normally more than his weaknesses, because nobody ever puts their shit moments in a highlight reel, right? So um, I looked at some compilations and perhaps more helpful than all of those things. I spoke to a colleague uh, who covers Italian football a lot closer than I do, who knows all about Jakub Kivior. Um, it's a name that I keep here. Uh, hearing, sorry, it's a name that keeps being spoken about in the Italian football circles. But again, hadn't watched an awful lot of him to be able to give you that sort of level of insight. What I did say yesterday, based on a, a piece I'd read, was that he was a bit more Murtasaka than Koscielny, I think is the way we put it in the live chat. Actually, having spoken to a colleague and having done a bit of diving, my opinions changed on that. So strike that from the record and let's focus on what we believe now uh, to be the kind of download on uh, Jakub Kivior. So it is pronounced like that, Jakub Kivior. Um, the W is pronounced as a V. Uh, Polish international defender, six foot two. And as I say, uh, according to reports, is in London this afternoon, undergoing a medical ahead of his proposed move from Spezia. Turns 23 uh, very, very soon in February. And this has been described to me as one that, is very much an investment for the long term. You know, if he comes into the squad and, and he comes into training and he impresses Mikel Arteta from the off, then maybe uh, we will see him get given a go. Maybe we'll see him uh, on the substitutes bench. Maybe we'll see him, you know, used in a, a, in a rotational system. I don't know. But at the moment, I'm told that this is very much one uh, for the future. So I'm not going to bore you with all the statistics, right? Because I'm not the best person when it comes to statistics, okay? I look at them, I use them as a bit of a guide, but I don't rely heavily on them. I don't use them as the sole basis of my opinions. If you want statistics, if you want heat maps, if you want diagrams, I strongly advise you go over and check out the Latte Firm's Breakdown. FK's done a fantastic job uh, over there. So go and check that out. But my opinion and, and based on what I've been told, this is kind of my little mini breakdown on Jakub Kivior. So um, people have talked a lot about his versatility. People have talked a lot about the fact that at points in his career, he's played in defensive midfield. And some are suggesting that maybe this relinquishes Arsenal's need now to go out and bring in a midfielder because they've seemingly captured Jakub Kivior from Spezia. But based on what I've heard and based on what I've been told, I don't really see him as that. You know, I, I think he's a centre-back first and foremost. He's left-footed, so he can play left-back in an emergency situation. He's understood to be pretty good on the ball. He's not amazing on the ball. Like You don't look at him and think, wow, this is a Rolls-Royce of, of a defender in possession. He's a better defender than he is anything else first and foremost. So I would question how serious an option he is in the defensive midfield role. So I want to pour a little bit of cold water on that because I think a lot of the, the Arsenal fans out there and, and fair play have looked at him, obviously don't know a lot about him as I didn't until maybe now and went, well, you know, he's played defensive midfield, he's left-footed, he's a centre-back, he's a big lad, he can play midfield as well. And, and great, happy days, we address a couple of positions. Mikel Arteta has shown 
in the last 18 months that he is huge on versatility. He wants players that can play in a variety of positions. But that doesn't mean that all of those players are equally as effective and equally as strong in each of the positions that their CV, shall we say, says they can play. Okay, that's that's how you got to look at this. So, yes, he can play left back. Yes, he can play centre back. Yes, he can play in defensive midfield or has played in defensive midfield. But this guy is a centre back. He's played in the middle of a back three for Spezia this season, a back three, which is very different to the system that we play. Now, I highlighted earlier on in the show in the first half that there are phases in a game where Arsenal do convert to a back three on field. And so, you know, maybe that suits him. But this is a guy that Arsenal have brought in to work on. They've looked at his raw talent. They've looked at what he brings to the table and they feel that he is someone that they can build on and someone they can work on. Okay. There was interest in Italy from a a number of other clubs. Um, AC Milan are said to have had a real serious interest in this player for a little while now, um, stretching back, I think, beyond uh, the beginning of this season, which has really been his breakout season. And Juventus are also said to have been keeping an eye on him as well. Um, But to put it simply, the Italian clubs do not have the finances right now to do these types of deals. And that's why whenever a player in Serie A sort of emerges, especially at clubs like Spezia, where there is a greater need to sell than at some of the bigger clubs, you know, what they do is, is they think, right, where can I get the biggest price from? Who can I get the biggest amount of money from? Who is going to give me the closest to what I believe the value of this player is in the European market, not the Italian market? And often we talk a lot about Italian players not really wanting to move out of Italy. Jakob Kivior is Polish. Okay, he will have no problem. He's been abroad before. He's been at Anderlecht. He was a product of the Anderlecht uh, Youth Academy, spent some time there. Uh, If I just bring um, his history up on my screen. Bear with me a second because um, I just want to make sure that I'm not rolling this off wrong to you guys. It, look, Jakob Kivio, 22 years old, as I say, you know, he's played abroad before. He's played at Anderlecht. He's played at Tiki in Poland before going to Anderlecht. He played some time uh, in Slovakia as well, which is on the borders of where he's from in Poland. Um, so yeah, he's he's no stranger to going abroad. And, and there was talk that you know, based on an article that I read this morning, that he felt that if he didn't, after the whole thing went sort of wrong at Zelina, where the COVID pandemic essentially, uh, you know, really hit the club and caused them to to have all sorts of financial problems to the point, I believe, uh, they where they no longer existed, he didn't want to go back to Poland. He didn't want to, um, you know, he didn't want to take that step backwards in his eyes and go back to a league that he was very comfortable in. He wanted to play in one of Europe's top leagues, and Spezia offered him a route to be able to go out and do that. So he goes there. As I said, I told you guys yesterday that for me, um, you know, I was told that he was way more Murtasaka than Koscielny, or I read that he was way more Murtasaka than Koscielny. But actually, having had further discussions and conversations with people who know a lot more about this player than I do, I don't think that's true. I think he is someone who wants to play quite an aggressive style, who wants to play on the front foot, who wants to get in and amongst strikers, who's a bit of a nuisance of a defender. You know those types of defenders that step on your heels, step on your toes, all of that stuff. But he seems to have this incredible ability of doing that without crossing lines, without, you know, attracting the attention of referees, 
without sort of having a terrible disciplinary record. He seems to be able to really get underneath people's skin with his style more than being dirty or, or crossing any lines. And that obviously means that he's quite similar to Gabriel in a lot of ways. Now, Gabriel is no stranger to a yellow card. Um, but Jakub Kivior seems to be a little bit more subtle in the way he goes about those things. Um, he's not afraid to make himself heard. As a character, he's said to be quite loud, uh, quite proud, quite strong, um, quite vocal. And again, that fits into what we're building at Arsenal Football Club at the moment. And look, we need another left-sided centre-back. As I said to you guys yesterday, you know, barring Gabriel, we don't have another one currently. Pablo Marie's out on loan, but I expect that loan to be turned into something more permanent. Uh, I don't expect him to play for Arsenal again is the long and short of it. And so, yeah, we, do, we did need a left-sided centre-back if you're looking at the balance of the squad. What I would question is, and I said this to you guys yesterday, so I'm kind of repeating myself with this, but what I said to you yesterday was, yes, a left-sided centre-back is something that should have been on the list. But how far up the list was it? clearly further up the list than you or I thought because Mikel Arteta has gone and moved for one um, way before any of us thought that that was even a thing. I thought we were well stocked defensively, actually. And I thought that that might have been something that we look to address in the summer as opposed to now, but we've done it now. Um, lots of talk on social media about his partner. Um, you know, people, when you come to a big club like Arsenal, they te seem to want to... Um, they seem to want to dive into your personal life. Uh, they seem to want to really kind of try and find something to make a story of. And uh, his partner, Claudia, is a, a nightclub dancer uh, with a relatively big profile on Instagram. A lot of people have been following her, obviously, uh, since the um, since the whole, um, you know, the, the whole rumor or the whole news broke that he was potentially on his way to Arsenal. Um, and she is the twerking champion. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's the British tabloids are going to have a field day with that, aren't they? They're going to love that. They're going to be all over that. Um, but, yeah, you know, this guy, he's got a lot of potential. He feels like someone um, that can, you know, improve and hopefully can improve under Mikel Arteta's stewardship and go on to a whole new level and a higher level. Um it's just it to me. It's it's really interesting that Arsenal have made this move because again, it was one of those, um, one of those that's gone completely under the radar, and boom, here it is. He's he's on his way to Arsenal. So, just goes to show what we know sometimes, isn't it? Which is very very little, and why we shouldn't get caught up, and we shouldn't get upset, and we shouldn't get angry. And you know, people were talking about Edu the other day, you know, because he he flew out to Poland, and they were saying, well, look, Edu's gone out to Poland to try and do the Mudrik deal, and and it's not been done. Um, you know, what a waste of time. What an idiot. You know, he, he went on a random goose chase to try and get uh, Mikhailo Mudrik. And I even saw some people on social media saying, well, Shakhtar are in Turkey on a training camp. And, and, and that sort of came, especially after the rumours came that Chelsea had gone to Turkey where Shakhtar were based to do the deal for Mudrik. People were saying, look at Edu, what an idiot. He's gone to Poland. Chelsea have gone to Turkey where the player is to get the deal done. We're beating around the bush there straight to the point. Well, clearly Edu was in Poland trying to get a deal done for Jakub Kivior. So, it, you know, talking to his family, we understand, talking to his people. Um, so, you know, it, it just goes to show that sometimes as fans, we know very, very little about what's going on behind the scenes in the transfer window. So just take a chill pill and wait and see what the club does. Because recently, for the most part, they have delivered. Um, but there are still a couple of positions, I believe, that, you know, need addressing. Will they be addressed in this window? 
That is the question. Now we're hearing uh, about a fullback option. Uh, we're hearing about um, young, bear with me a second, because I keep getting his name confused. God, I'm turning into league judges. <laughs> uh, Ivan Fresneda, uh, the young man who currently plays his football over at Valladolid is, is being linked with Arsenal. A right-back option. Now, that's not by any means done yet, but he's someone that Arsenal are interested in. Real Madrid were interested in him, but it seemed as though their interest has called, and that might open the door for the Gunners. But I believe and understand uh, that that... I understand that that... Um, is dependent on whether Cedric Suarez moves on to kind of create space for him in the squad. And Cedric's on a pretty hefty wage because we got him uh, for free. And so, you know, if you can move that on, move him on, move that wage on, then you can open the door to bring in others. So Fresneda, I think, is dependent on whether or not Arsenal uh, do manage to offload Cedric Suarez in this window. But another player uh, being talked about, and a name that's got a lot of Arsenal fans excited, is that of Eduardo Camavinga. Now, Simon Collings uh, reported last night that Arsenal were interested in taking Eduardo Camavinga from Real Madrid on loan for the remainder of the season. I tweeted last night, don't tease me with this Camavinga chat. I really rate this player. I think he's fantastic. I think he's got incredible ability. I think the sky's the limit for this young man. But obviously, he finds himself at a club in Real Madrid where there is a lot of talent in midfield and he's finding it difficult at the moment to get into the side. He's only started 31% of their La Liga games so far this season. He's only played 38% of their total minutes. But this is a great talent. The guy uh, was brought into the club uh, from Ren uh, in a deal that was worth around about £31 million pounds, uh, back in August 2021. Uh, he's got a contract there until June 2027. So they're in no rush to offload him. There isn't any real issues there as far as Real Madrid are concerned. But... I don't really see this as being likely. I don't see Real Madrid wanting to loan Eduardo Camavinga out. I, I don't think they've got enough depth to be able to go, well, you know what, we can just move this boy on on loan for the remainder of the season. And I don't think they're desperate enough financially to need to push his wage on to someone. So I'm not I'm not really optimistic about this. I've got to be honest. Um, I think Fabrizio Romano mentioned somewhere this morning as well, just before uh, we started recording, I saw it. He said something along the lines of, look, as far as I understand it, Real Madrid have no intention of letting this guy go. And they intend on having him as part of the squad between now and the remainder of the season. They're happy with their current squad. This is what they're going with uh, for the second part of the season. And, and it's as simple as that. So I'm sorry to pour cold water on this, but personally, and it is just an opinion, you know, never say never in football. But personally, I don't see this happening. I really don't. I know a lot of fans would like to see it happen. A lot of people would feel that that is or that would represent Arsenal going out and covering Thomas Partey to the best of their ability in this window. But I just don't see it with Camavinga. I'm sorry. I just don't. Um, a lot of people are saying, yeah, please, no chance. Don't tease us, Harry. Um, what else have we got? Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Relax says, Camavinga is good, but not great, to be honest. I think he's got the potential to be great, though. And that's why... Deals like, you know, people like Camavinga, if you're going to go and get them, you either decide that this is the guy that we want, this is the guy that we believe can go on to the levels that we need, and this is a guy that we believe is worthwhile investing in. If it's only a short-term thing, I would argue that there are players out there that could, that could do you a job 
for a short period of time that are probably lesser players than Kamavinga in terms of their overall potential, but maybe are more or, or are closer to their peak at the moment or are at a point in their career where they're experienced, they're able to come in and out of a team and they're able to help you through difficult periods. I like Kamavinga, but Kamavinga would be someone I looked at for the long term as opposed to someone that you would bring in on loan for a short term without there ever being any chance of making it permanent. I mean, you look at Martin Odegaard, Arsenal, as I keep saying this, always knew that Martin Odegaard was someone they wanted, um, you know, to, to remain at the club, even beyond this loan spell. And they obviously had an indication from Real Madrid that that was a possibility. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone as big as they did on it. And, and they wouldn't have held on in that window when it looked as though a deal might not happen. You know, there was opportunities to sign Buendia and various others. And a lot of you guys were telling me, you know, go and get Buendia. Stop messing around with Martin Odegaard. It's not going to happen. Arsenal stuck to their guns because he was the one they wanted. And Arsenal stuck to their guns because they knew that there was a chance they could get him out of Real Madrid. They did exactly that. And look how that's turned out. He's been fantastic. He's been fantastic. Okay, I think um, that's about it from me. Uh, I feel like I've talked a lot today um, without really going into the co uh, to the comments as much as we normally would. Uh, so please do start getting your questions in. We'll take a few of those before we wrap up. Um, over 660 of you with us now. We're approaching the 700 mark in terms of live viewers at this moment in time. Come on, let's get up to 300 likes at minimum. We've got 172 on the board at the moment. That is simply not good enough. So please leave a like, uh, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Check out, I'm, pointing, I'm always pointing the wrong way because the camera reverses. Check out the Chronicles of Aguna on the Another Slice platform. Uh, sign up, become a member, support me, the podcast, and the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital to provide you with more content and um, and to keep continuing the content that we already provide. Uh, some stuff coming to you guys tomorrow after the Man United game. And um, yeah, really looking forward to that. Hopefully we're talking about a positive result. Um, Tired Gunasaurus says, what's your thoughts on a strong bench forming now? Just need to replace Holding Elneny and Lakonga and coming back ready should be Balogun and Trusty. Yeah, I've, I've mentioned it already in the show. You know, it's really important that we have a squad and it's got to be a, a strong squad. It's got to be a versatile squad. And if you have that, it allows you to keep the numbers slightly down, which I think is something that Mikel Arteta does deliberately. He likes to have a smaller group. He likes to have a group of players that he believes in and that he can trust in and um, doesn't like having people on the peripheries kind of walking around the place, potentially being even unintentionally disruptive. You know, he doesn't want that. He doesn't want players that aren't involved. He wants people to be involved, to be invested, to feel together, to feel as one. And obviously that is easier to do with a smaller group. But in order to achieve that, you need a strong small group and you need a versatile group. And we talk about versatility a lot. Uh, when we're talking about transfer targets at the moment, I really do believe that when you look at the the list of things that I, I'd imagine Mikel Arteta has on his little clipboard and he ticks off when he's trying to uh, figure out whether someone would be a good signing or not, versatility is, if not right at the top, it's in the top three, four things. Um, so, yeah. Let's see what else we've got. Uh, Stephen says, it is a cliche, but Emil Smith-Rowe is like a January signing. And what a signing he is. Absolutely. Arsene Wenger used to say that and it used to irritate us because we didn't actually make any January signings uh, of any significance or of any note or 
that we felt could genuinely help us out. Um, but in this case, you know, Arsenal are active in the transfer market. Arsenal are doing plenty of business. And, um, you know, so we have to look at the Emil Smith-Rowe thing as a positive. We've been without him for the majority of the season. We all know what he can do. We've seen it. This is not a player that is an unknown quantity. We're not relying on someone coming from abroad and settling in really quickly. We're not relying on someone coming in and settling into the club quickly. We know what Emil Smith-Rowe is all about. He's happy here. He's settled here. And hopefully he can help us out uh, straight away. What else have we got? Um... Jid says, what would your combined 11 look like? Is that between Arsenal and Man United? I'm assuming, right? Um, I was asked this question yesterday. I'd go with Ramsdale in goal. Um, I'd go with our entire back four when everybody's fit. I'd maybe shoehorn Bruno Fernandes in there somewhere and I'd maybe put uh, Marcus Rashford in there somewhere. Some would argue that Casemiro can go in as well. I prefer Thomas Partey personally and in our system. Um, yeah, I, I just think that Partey is better suited. So, yeah, only a couple of United players would go in there for me. And that's a testament to how far Arsenal have come. Uh, Steve says, Harry, to your knowledge, is Trossard even match fit? I'm unsure when he last played. I'm pretty sure that Leandro Trossard knew this move was in the pipeline. And I'm pretty sure that he would have made a lot of effort to stay fit as a result uh, of that. He was training with Arsenal yesterday and he's going to be training with Arsenal today. So I'd imagine that Leandro Trossard is at least fit enough to play a part. Don't know if he's fit enough to start. I don't think he would start anyway, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think he is someone that we can call on from the bench tomorrow. And if it's for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, there's no reason why he should be fit enough to at least manage that. Uh, Afzar says, um, we have wasted 60 million on Laconga, Fabio Vieira and Tavares. So why do we think new signings will be any better? Well, this is the thing, Afsar. We haven't really wasted it. Nuno Tavares cost us £7 million, right? And he's having a great time over in France. And the chances are that we're going to sell him for, if not the same amount, more than what we bought him for. So the Tavares one, you can take that out of the equation. Way too early to say that Fabio Vieira was a waste of money. We don't know how he is going to uh, develop. And, you know, he's he was someone that, again, was brought in with a view to the longer term. And and hopefully can help us moving forward. I, I don't think he's been, you can say he's been a waste, a complete waste. I think we've seen flashes and glimpses of what he's all about. We just need to see it a bit more consistently. But given the form of the team, given how settled the team is, it's not easy for him to just dislodge someone. So I don't want to say that that's a waste of money. Lokonga, I can entertain the argument, right? But again, if you get 15 million for Sambi Lokonga, you've made most of your money back. Arsenal have taken some gambles, but they've taken it on players that do have a sell-on value because of their age, because of their profiles, etc., etc. And you've got to remember, with Arsenal being right at the top, now their fringe players are worth something. Now clubs around Europe will look at those players and go, yeah, it didn't really work for him at Arsenal, Sambi Lekonga, but he was on the fringes of a side that were top of the Premier League or are top of the Premier League. So he must be of a certain standard. So he must be able to help us. And so all of a sudden... You've gone from being eighth place with fringe players that nobody wants to know on ridiculous contracts, ridiculous wages. Nobody wants to touch them. But people like Lekonga who are on reasonable wages and who are a part of a winning side, winning squad at least, all of a sudden have a lot more appeal. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I agree with you there. Um, I, I don't agree. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a great question. It's a great point. But I don't agree with you there. I, I disagree quite strongly with 
at least two of those three players that you put in there as as a waste of money. Uh, big thank you to Matt for your very kind donation. He says, is Trossard our Shakiri signing or our Diogo Jota? I think it's somewhere in between. It's not as short-term a, a thing as, as Shakiri. Um, is it as long-term as Jota? Not sure because of his age. But yeah, I think he's somewhere in the middle of that in terms of someone that's coming in for the short and the medium term rather than the long-term solely or the short-term solely. Uh, going to take one more because I am running out of time. But Ayush says, hello, Harry. El Nenny always gets injured during transfer windows. You watch Serie A. What about getting a stopgap like Brozovic on loan? I think you're going to struggle to get Brozovic out on loan um, without really making it worth um, Inter's while. And again, you know, if you want to stop gap, do you need to go? This is the thing. Do we want to stop gap? I don't think we want to stop gap. I think, as I said, Trossar, some will say that that's a stop gap. He's someone for the short and medium term, not just the short term, but certainly not for the long term. I think you need to tick two. So if you've got short, medium term and long term, you need to at least tick two of those boxes for Arsenal to feel that you're a worthwhile investment. Brozovic on loan would be solely short term, and I don't think Arsenal would do that. Uh, I'm going to take one more, and then I'm going to disappear off into the sunshine. Uh, Dennis says, hi, Harry, would you be happy with a draw tomorrow, and should we aim not to lose rather than go full steam ahead for the three points? I guess, Dennis, it depends on, on how the game pans out. You know, I'm always open-minded going into these games you obviously want to win them but if you get to the last 20 minutes and you're starting to take unnecessary risks then maybe we should think twice because of uh, the fact that we won at Spurs I said going into these two games if we got four points from the two of them I'd be pleased with that that's not really changed if we got six it would be amazing but four is still a very healthy return from those two games so um, yeah I guess we've got to assess and judge how the game goes and, and take it from there Right, guys, thank you so, so much. I'm going to leave it there. Hope you enjoyed uh, our bumper edition of the podcast today. We covered a lot. We talked Arsenal versus Manchester United. We talked Jakub Kivio. We discussed Eduardo Camavinga. We also uh, took some of your questions from the chat box as well. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow uh, after the Manchester United game to look back on it. Uh, Sunday evening show. I always like Sunday evening ones. I feel like people are in the right zone on a Sunday evening, you know, you've dealt with your family stuff during the day. You sit up, you put your feet up, you watch the show. We talk football, we dissect football. Uh, and it means that the content is ready for those that prefer to listen to it or watch it uh, on their way into work the next morning. Um, please do leave a like on the video. Remember, I asked for 300. We're nowhere near that yet. Come on, guys, like. It doesn't cost a thing. It's absolutely free. Check out the membership proposal on anotherslice.com. Uh, leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you are new and if you're listening on an audio platform then please do leave us a review we'll be back tomorrow with more until then up the arsenal come on you gunners huge huge game against manchester united the rivalry is back i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon. 